gates open, off and stylish sensory state in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. Gaynor Williams first fell under the spell of the thoroughbred when her father Harold gave her an off-the-track racehorse to retrain for her favourite pastime of eventing. Young Gaynor Cunningham had grown up in Oberon, a township of 4,000 people on the western fringe of the famous Blue Mountains. She joined Pony Club at an early age before transitioning to the show ring in her early teens. With every thoroughbred gainer tried in the show ring, her aspiration to become a trainer grew stronger. Her bedroom at home became a shrine to the Australian racing world of the early 1980s. The walls were covered with colour photos of the champions of the day removed from copies of Racetrack magazine. When the walls were completely covered, she started on the wardrobe. Gaynor was one excited girl when she came away from an English tried horse sale early in 1985 with a three-year-old filly called Scarlet Vixen, who'd already won two races for Taree trainer Ross Stitt. The purchase price was $1,400. The ink was barely dry on Gaynor's brand-new trainer's licence when Scarlet Vixen, at just her fifth run for the new stable, scored an easy win in an improver's handicap at Orange with John Bateman in the saddle. Kana Williams, I'm sorry to have to tell you that that momentous event took place 36 years ago. It's a bit scary, John, (laughs) to think uh, it's been 36 years, but I don't know where the time's gone, but we still enjoy it as much now as we did then. You won another two races with Scarlet Vixen, one of them at Bathurst with Lorna Delaney in the saddle and another one at Hawkesbury with Michael Zarb riding. Michael went on to become a stipendiary steward after that. He did, he did. And um, he uh, he was recommended to us at the time by Lorna's father, Reg Barnes. Mm. Uh, they, were, they were friends and uh, I don't think... It, I, at that stage, Lorna may have been suspended or something like that, and they recommended Michael get the ride, and uh, we put him on and came home a winner, which was great. Now, you tell me she was a very quirky mare. She'd want a bolt in her track work, 
but for some strange reason she'd settle in her races. Oh, she did. She certainly uh, was a work in progress to take on. Uh, she was a very fizzy mare, beautiful mare, beautiful type, very athletic, but she was a little bit silly. And uh, But in, in her races she just... She was happy to settle back off the speed and just find the line. So it was it was a bit of an odd combination. Yeah, you'll never forget her, of course. She was very important at that early stage of your career. She literally kick-started your career. She did because when we bought her, or Frank bought her for me actually, she had won a race at Barraville the week before for mm. Rostead, so she was fit and ready to go. So we just had to carry on. She taught me quite a few things and, uh, yeah, we, we just went from there. The commencement of your training career coincided with your marriage to Frank Williams, who's been with you every step of the way. After 25 years at Bathurst, you and Frank decided on a sudden change of environment in 2010. You pulled up stakes and you moved to Grafton. Now, what was the catalyst for such a dramatic move? Well, actually, Frank stayed in Bathurst to run the stable here in Bathurst at the time, Mm -hmm. and we opened up another stable at Grafton, but I'd attended the Grafton Carnival and um, prior to relocating, I just fell in love with Grafton and the the coast, and the carnival was just an amazing experience. We had a little bit of luck there. We didn't win a race. We had a couple of seconds with a horse called Instant Success, his Mm -hmm. name was, and uh, I just loved the racing atmosphere up there. The racing was really really good racing, tough racing, mm. and Grafton was quite central to to everywhere, to anywhere from Brisbane down to Taree. Yes. How many horses did you take to Grafton? Would have taken about eight at that stage, and we ended up at one stage, we ended up with 20. Mm. Well, you stayed there for three very happy years, but you had to change direction again when Frank received a very tempting job offer at Gulgong near Mudgee. What was that offer? The offer was for the manager of Gunterwong Stud for Charles Cropper. That was on a recommendation, which was wonderful, from Jeff Brash. And Jeff was the manager there at the time and and just wanted to move on to other things. He actually took on training professionally, uh, Jeff did from then mm-hmm. and uh, we, we were lucky and, and Jeff was kind enough to put in a, a word for Frank uh, to Charles Cropper so Frank received the job which was wonderful. Mm. Had that offer not been forthcoming would you have been happy to see out the rest of your career in Grafton? Yes I, I would have. Would have. Um, mm. Frank wasn't too keen on the heat and the humidity up there but uh, mm. I'd I'd prefer the heat to the, to the cold. It's, it sounds a bit odd coming from Oberon, but I I just I really liked it and was sort of getting into the swing of things after a few years. It took a you know a little while to get going, but I, I enjoyed it. But it, it uh, wasn't to be. So this position came up and mm. we relocated to to Galgong yeah. and um, yeah and came back closer to home. Well, you stayed there about seven years, and Frank enjoyed his time with Gunter Wong, and you enjoyed your time training horses out of Mudgee. But last year, as recently as last year, the decision was made to return to the place where it all began. So back you go to Bathurst, and which also happens to be the home of your lovely daughter, Lauren, who married recently. Yes, it was. A, we didn't see a lot of Lauren 
you know, over those years, us with our our job and Lauren was busy as well and Lauren and Matt had their own mechanical business and uh, which uh, was keeping them busy. So uh, we decided to relocate. We, I don't believe in being in your children's pockets, but it was still mm. nice at uh, the time to come back here and we see much more of them now, which is absolutely wonderful. Mm. Well, you're happily ensconced at Bathurst with 18 horses in work and you tell me that is your preferred number. You really don't want any more than that. No, it's 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 enough. We like we like to be hands on, and I just think you can you need to be able to walk down the breezeway and you know take a few minutes to look at each horse and see what they need and uh, what they should should have and shouldn't have. And uh, I think it's just uh, it's easy to be hands on that way. We we like to treat them as individuals. I don't like to train horses. Um, on a production line as such and just do the same with every horse because Hmm. they just don't need that. They need different things. Yep. Well, you no longer ride track work. You've had one knee replacement and a second one looks imminent. So the riding was on the wall, Gaynor, uh, about four years ago. You decided to stay on the ground, but you had ridden your own horse's work for 30 years and I know you miss it a little bit. I definitely do. I I, I do miss it, and uh, over the years, of, um, my body's been trashed through horse mm. riding work and hard horses and difficult horses to ride. We've sort of always ended up with those types. I always ended up on on them, mm. and um, a few aches and pains later. So I'd leave it up to the young ones now, and I, I do stand out and watch them work. And yes, I definitely wish I was still riding. Mm. You're very fortunate to have ridden work for all of that time, three decades, and you got away with only one broken arm in all of that time. That's a pretty lucky trot. Extremely lucky, extremely lucky. Uh, yes, I used to do jump outs and uh, unofficial, of course, jump outs and things like that. And, uh, yes, oddly enough, uh, I just had one in 2007 who just took fright one day at three-quarter pace and went in a bad face and I ended up with a broken arm. So that's luckily that was yeah. the worst I've ever, ever had. You were telling me the other day that you really loved fast work, and I mean fast work, you know, just going off to the stable on a slow morning, you didn't get quite the same buzz. No, I just used to love riding fast work and it just helped me with the horses uh, to see where they're up to and, and see how they worked and how far they'd need in races and just to get the feel of a horse, I think that can tell you everything. And mm. I was never one, I'd not at any stage did I use a beeper or, or count or anything like that. I used to just do everything on feel. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I got a lot of satisfaction out of riding them. But uh, in these lat- latter years, I do believe that you probably you understand the riding of them and, and what riders go through and what riders endure and mm. what the horses need. But at, at that some stage too, you have to draw the line and either be a trainer or, or a track rider. Mm. Does that make you a, a, an easy trainer to ride for? Uh, you're not the type to uh, scold a jockey uh, on dismounting in the parade yard at a race meeting. Uh, not only have you got a good understanding of the things that have gone wrong, but you'd rather wait. It's the wrong time to do it, isn't it? It's Everybody's too passionate immediately after a race. Definitely. And, and, and the situation might become emotional after a race and not 
so not factual like it should be. Mm. But I, I do understand what they go through. I try to be easy to, for mm. them to ride for, but I, I try not to give jockeys too many instructions and all I can do is tell them about the horse. But mm. they're out there to ride the races. Races can change. They can pan out differently. And if I've given definite instructions and it doesn't come off, well, it, it's my fault and I can accept that. Yeah. But I'd rather leave things up to the jockeys and uh, they're the ones that are riding and they can work things out and hopefully when we leg them up I've done my bit so they mm. can go out and do theirs. Let's go back to those early days Gaynor immediately after Scarlet Vixen came after the fire. Now, you bought him at a dubbo sale, you won a maiden at Warren second up Lorna Delaney in the saddle. She became Lorna Barnes later didn't she? She did. She did. And Lorna was good to us and she helped us a lot when we first started out. So uh, he he was a lovely horse by Toll Spring, big chestnut horse by Toll Spring. And uh, Dad bought him as a yearling um, to start off with it from Dubbo. And uh, he he won a, few, a couple, but he was, he was a nice horse too and good horse to start with. You won another two with him after that Warren Maiden, ridden in one of them by Harry Troy and in the other by Billy Aspros. Two outstanding bush jockeys. Unbelievable they were. They were just the most amazing horsemen. And not only could they sit on, but they could they were very intelligent and they could read races and, and they could both uh, and especially Bill and I spoke to him about it one day at length and he said, You've got to look up ahead of you and see what's going on and see what's going to happen before it happens. Mm. And I always remember him telling me that. And they could just read races, those those jockeys and uh, that yeah, it, it just helped them and they, and they were intelligent uh, men um, on and off the horse. So yeah, uh, that, you know I think that that helped uh, with their riding, of course. A horse called Ronald was very good to you on the country tracks. He won five in all, and he ran a million placings. He did. He was he was um, a good horse. Uh, he was put in work by. Um, a gentleman from um, at uh, Taranar near Oberon, and mm. he was a, a nice horse, and uh, he he was very handy horse, very sound horse, very handy horse. Rody's kid was one of your great favourites in those early days. You won eleven races with Rody's kid on the Western Line, including four straight at one stage, and that's hard to do anywhere. It is hard to do. He was only a very small horse and uh, he was uh, quite a stout build, very small John Smiths around him. Mm. And uh, he was a horse that had a good acceleration and he could let down quite quickly and he had a really good sprint, albeit short. Mm. Uh, he still had a really good sprint on him, but uh, he was he was not, he was was very good to us, actually, that little horse. He didn't need an impatient jockey then? No, no, he didn't. And he, he could win from the lead, but he could win from back in the field, and he, he did both, but he, he was very good. Rody's genius didn't win as many as Rody's kid, but one of his four wins happened to be at Randwick with Billy Aspros on board. She was a beautiful mare. She um, had a few problems, but, um, yes, that was the ultimate when she could win at Randwick for, for the owner, John Smitzer. He was very, very good and supportive stable client in those years and uh, mm. we had quite a few for John. We had another one for John called Cecil who uh, won in town as well and he, we had numerous horses for John at the time. Now, Rody's Kid and Rody's Genius were both by a horse called Rody Rouge who just happened to be a half-brother 
to the great Vaux Rogue, winner of $3 million. Yes, yes, they were, and, and they could all gallop a bit. They they were quirky horses, but uh, a lot of them we found needed to be fresh. They couldn't um, be overworked, and uh, they they were a good breed at the time, so uh, we were happy, certainly happy to, happy to have them in the stable. You got a horse called Senchire to train very late in his career, and I think you won three races on the trot with him. Uh, he raced in town quite often. He was a very useful horse, wasn't he, Senchire? He was. Max Lees had him and uh, originally, and he uh, he was a, a stallion then, just a beautiful horse, an absolutely beautiful horse, but he, he just sort of um, lost lost his way a little bit in the end when he was up at the provincials in the city and uh, mm. we were lucky enough to have a have a go with him and, um, yeah, he, he, he was good as well. He was a very, very nice horse. Your very first city winner was a horse named after a little Victorian town, Kuwirup, who won a race at Canterbury in June of 1993. The jockey gainer was Kevin Moses. Now, at that time, Kevin Moses was Premier Sydney jockey in three consecutive seasons. He was, and he he rode the horse very well, and we were just so overwhelmed. The horse was a $600 purchase uh, from a um, gentleman by the name of Fred Muldoon from Oberon, mm-hmm. who was went back a long way uh, with my father. And, uh, yeah, he was a stallion too. We left him as a stallion and um, he was only small. I think he was 15-1, but he was uh, he was a good little horse as well. So uh, it was very exciting to have a, a city winner back then. Now, I've got to ask you about a horse with the aristocratic name of Hoofenboof. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who won 10 races all up. You won six with him including a Dubbo Cup, and I think you ran second in a, in another Dubbo Cup with him. He did, and he ran. He was just pipped at Canterbury one day, uh, midweek mm. at Canterbury, but he um, he came from Cowra. Uh, Aussie Carl had done well with him prior to us getting him, but mm. uh, Norm Redfern was an owner uh, of him at that stage, and he was transferred, and we had a lot of fun with him. He was a, a front-running type, and... Uh, he was a horse that we found out that unless you sprinted him up or gave him a furlong sprint up on the morning of the race, he wouldn't do anything. Uh, and then I, every time he got that sprint up, he, he used to lead in his races, didn't like mm. the wet going, but he used to lead in his races and was quite a tough horse to get past. Yeah. But his next preparation after that, I probably didn't do as well with him because I liked him too much and, mm. and um, probably wasn't as hard on him and uh, he ran a few placings, but he he may have met his mark too at that stage. Yes, yeah. You know, that old art of sprinting him up a furlong on race morning in years gone by was pretty common. Don't see it as much these days, but the old timers love to clean them out, as they said. Yes, yes. Well, we've done it with others and it's, it's backfired and he's probably been one of the only ones we've had. We don't do it with them now, of course, but he's probably the only one that really, really assisted, but uh, it certainly doesn't work with everything. Little Britain Gainer was a fun horse. You won seven races with him, including a Cattleman's Cup on that beautiful big track out at Warren. He was also one of the horses you took to Grafton, I think. 
He was, he was. He was a troublesome horse in the beginning. He was extremely spooky and touchy and had had a lot of issues, but uh, you just had to go with him a little bit and uh, he was a very insecure horse and just have to look after him and not pressure him too much, but he was good uh, uh, in the end. Then he won a few and he was a lovely, lovely athletic horse. He, He was beautiful. Yeah. Now, you just said something that, to me, illuminates what you're all about as a horse trainer. I've never heard a trainer use the expression, he was an insecure horse. Now, by that you mean he was flighty, he was nervous, he was worried about things. Uh, not a, not every trainer recognises that in a horse. Well, you, you just have to look at them and look at their demeanour and, and just look at them and... and try and work out what they're thinking and and why they're doing what they're doing. And you can just see with their behaviour, they'll they'll like to have people around them. He was a one-man horse as such, Little Britain. If too many new people came around him, he was a bit suspicious of them. And if you had the one person handling him all the time, yeah. he'd relax and trust that person and he'd look to the other person for assistance. But And that tells me that he's very insecure and yeah. just they just need help insecure horses need help you can't you can't keep pressuring them and pounding them and expecting them all to be the same they, they all just need help they 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 cope with the racing uh, all differently all of them cope differently yes reese was a good bush horse who won races from your bathurst stable i think you took him to grafton and he won from the grafton stable and then you took him back to mudgee and he won from that stable Eight wins in all. He was very tough horse, Reese. He it's the week before he won a race at Ballina, an open race at Ballina, he was beaten by a maiden on the track. And that's how he worked on the track. He was never a good track worker. A week later the maiden came out a horse called Toolbag, came yeah. out and won at Grafton and then and then week after that Reese won an open race at Ballina, but you could never tell by his track work. He just used to save it for race day. Yeah, and you could you could leg a jockey up, and you you would just know that Reese would give his best. He was wonderful. Yeah, funny thing, Gainer, when you get a horse like that, a bad track worker. Once you discover uh, mm. that anomaly, you don't worry too much about it. But it's a it's a fright early on. It is a bit. It is, but uh, you've just got to accept that they're all different, and you you just race them and see how they they are race day. Whether they step up race day, and it becomes a pattern, mm. and you just have to adapt to that pattern and just try, try and recognise it, and uh, they'll tell you what they want. Just get you to stand by there for a moment, Gainer, while we clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you after this. The Illawarra Turf Club will host the last of the spring features when the gong will highlight a Metropolitan Class program on Saturday, November 20. This is the third running of the $1 million race over the Kembla Mile with Mr Seawolf and Arcademus already in the record books. Co-features on the day will be a 1,000 metre open sprint carrying a purse of 300000 the $100,000 tab highway over the same trip as the gong and the midway of 1,400 metres. Stakes racing will continue at Rosehill Gardens the following week, November 27, with the Group 3 Festival Stakes and the listed Starlight Stakes of 1,100 and the Australian Turf Club Cup over 2,000 metres. It's been a glittering spring carnival and it's not over yet. 
My special guest is Gaynor Williams. We should mention Knickerbocker Kid, who had a few trainers. He won a total of 18 races all up. You won nine with him. Tracy Bartley seemed to have the best record on him when you were training him. Uh, later on, he went to John Size and I think eventually to Gary Portelli. He did. He was a very, very handy horse and we uh, gave up training at that uh, stage. He was moved on to John Size. He was an absolute master uh, with the horse and we won with him over 2,000 metres at Wellington one day. Uh, he The horse led, yeah. but John took a different uh, road with him as he would. I think he just sprinted him and dropped him out and he won quite a few races training him like that, but he was a master, John Size. But that, that horse was very good. Mm. Knickerbocker kid. Now, fast forward <clears throat> to more recent times. You've had some fun with From the Bush, a Forbes Cup, a Bathurst Cup and a Tab Highway at Randwick recently with Grant Buckley on board. He looks like a big, free-striding sort of a horse gainer. He is. He is. He he actually looks like he's got some warm blood in him. He's that he's <laughs> that heavy type, and he takes size nine shoes. Mm. And uh, he's he's really come along well. That horse. He's very very genuine, and a very very tough horse. And he's actually spelling at the moment, but. Uh, we'll just work out a path for him next time he comes in, but uh, we, he certainly has progressed through the grades really well. Now, what's the story with I Am A Cool Kid, who's a nine-year-old? He's had seven starts only for four wins. You actually won a tab highway with him at Randwick a couple of years ago. He had two barrier trials last year but disappeared soon after. He bled uh, oh. twice, so therefore he's retired. He's uh, he's out in the paddock here, right where we are at the stables with Reese. Uh, he's still here, and uh, I'm a cool kid's there as well. And um, they'll have a home for life. And uh, yeah, that was he was the one that got away. We we term that as the one that got away. Uh, oh. I'm a cool kid because he had so much ability. Probably at that stage, one of the better horses we've trained, uh, the fastest horses we've had. Oh. And uh, he was a horse that was just uh, quite troublesome, extremely heavily built horse, and uh, he used to go very hard on the work track. And uh, unfortunately, he bled twice, and that was the end of him. El Mo was another one to give you a few sleepless nights. He's obviously very talented, but his appearance at Rose Hill on Saturday last was his first in something like 14 months. He finished with the tailenders, but you expected that because he was big and desperately in need of the run. Definitely. Uh, he's had a knee operation. He's had a chip removed and had to have the obligatory six months off um, for the healing process. And we've just brought him along very, very steady and uh, he's never had very good first up form anyway, but uh, we weren't expecting much more. We just wanted him to pull up sound and we've trotted him up um, today, the morning after the race, and he's trotted up 100% sound. So this, uh, we're very relieved, which is wonderful. Healing Hands is another heartache horse. A seven-year-old who's had only 11 starts, he's won five, and he's run respectably in two country championship finals. He has. He, he bled once uh, as well, so um, we treat him with kid, kid gloves, and he's... Uh, He's a horse that we term that he's made of glass. He's uh, 
you know, he seems yeah. to get to get to something, get to a level, and then we we have another setback with him. But mm. he's all but all being well. I always put that um, sentence forward. But all being well, he will resume on Friday at um, Gundagai. Yeah, he's had two recent barrier trials, but they were very well spaced. They were, and, and he's a horse that likes softer going as well. So we're just very careful. Mm as to what the track conditions are like when we when we start him. Mm. So he's in at Gundagai? Yes, yes. At this stage uh, there's some rain around, so that's where mm. it looks like we'll go. All punters listening to the podcast have pricked their ears, of course. <laughs> can, can, he, <laughs> can he win first up? Oh, he's had plenty of work, but he's quite big and burly and we've changed a few things with him this prep and... Mm. Haven't worked him as long, as much long pace work as we have been. He became quite dour last preparation, yeah. so we've tried to keep him a bit fresh and just mm. sprint him this prep. So it'll be interesting to see how he resumes. Needless to say, he'll need the need a run um, or the run, I should say, the race because yeah. uh, he's been out for a while too. So. Mm. Now, Gaynor, you've had more than your share of problem horses. And uh, it reminds me of an old trotting trainer mate of mine years ago who'd had a shocking run with bleeders and tendons and suspensory ligaments and everything. You, you name it, he'd had it. And he went to the box one morning. I happened to be at the stables, opened the door to lead out his best horse, the best horse in the place, you know, big leg. <laughs> he, he didn't know whether he'd injured himself in the box or whether he'd popped a tendon but the poor old trainer put him back in the box, shut the door and slid down the wall just outside the stable until he was squatting on his haunches. He put his head in his hands and he said, why me? (laughs) I'm sure you've experienced the same feeling. Oh, exactly the same thing. I've been there, done that. I've I've done exactly the same thing, <laughs> mm. I can say. But I don't really say why me. I, I just say, oh, you could virtually say why not me. But it, it just yeah. uh, it creates more more of a challenge and you've just got to deal with it. You can't, in this industry, you can't feel sorry for yourself. You, you've just yeah. got to get on with it. And uh, you're given horses to train and you've just got to sort them out. And as hard as it is, as, as difficult as it is, you, you've just got to, to be there and keep chipping away and uh, try and work it out. It is a fact, though, isn't it, that the sounder they are, in many cases, the slower they are. Yes. uh, They don't put as much pressure on themselves, I don't think, as uh, the ones that are a bit more fiery or or Mm. towy or or whatever. They seem to work harder and they put more pressure on themselves, but the slower ones look after themselves a bit, I think. (laughs) That's putting it mildly. Now, a couple of your favourites have just come back into work. Tags is one of them, a four-year-old who's won three from seven, and he's got a third and a fourth in highways to his credit. Goes well. He goes well. He He's a, a really nice big horse, a very athletic horse too, and his path will be the country championship heats uh, at the beginning of the year, or mm. February, I think, and... Uh, He's a very promising horse. He's just been very immature. The penny hasn't quite dropped with him yet. He's hasn't. Uh, he's not race wise yet. But when uh, when he can sort of learn a little bit more and mature a little bit more, which he has just resumed now, and he's much more settled this prep, and um, we're hoping he's just heading in the right direction. Last but not least, Zoo Station, a five-year-old mare who's won three from eight 
including a tab highway at Rose Hill not long ago in June. Regan Bayliss was the rider. Honest sort of a mare, zoo station. Extremely honest. She will give her best every time and she's never really run a, a bad race and uh, she she's a little bit like Reese. You can leg the jockey up and you know you know she'll give her best and you'll get a run for your money as such and uh, she's heading for the championship heats or country championship heats as well. Right. No problems? No, no. Touchwood. hope she's not listening. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, none at all. None at all. Gaynor, I haven't spoken to a bush trainer who isn't wrapped in the tab highway concept. From a personal viewpoint, what difference has it made to your operation? It's uh, it's probably easy for me to say because we've been fortunate enough to to win a couple of them or a few of them, but it's just been an amazing concept for owners and trainers, country owners and country trainers, and it just gives them a goal and something to look forward to and it's it's a real achievement and, and it's not that there's anything wrong with racing around from week to week uh, in tab races and ordinary tab races and whatever because the prize money is much uh, better than it used to be but it just gives them that extra boost uh, and, and just something to look forward to. Everyone wants to go down and race at Randwick. It's an amazing experience for those who, who don't get the chance to do it very often and I think the concept from Racing New South Wales has been a huge success. Trainers travelling from the far north uh, find it a fairly arduous trip, uh, but nowadays Bathurst to Sydney is pretty cosy, isn't it? Extremely, extremely. It's it's a lot easier now. It's uh, probably three hours to Rose Hill, three and a half, maybe three, three-quarter, depending on the traffic, to mm. Randwick. It's, it's handy to Hawkesbury as well. Um, it's not too bad to Goulburn. We're, we're reasonably central here at Bathurst. Your mum and dad must get a lot of enjoyment watching the horses. They're now in retirement at Port Macquarie. Your mum, June, is 89. Your dad, Harold, is well into his 90s. They're both going well. And Harold, of course, was the man who gave you a tried thoroughbred uh, to retrain for eventing many, many years ago. He didn't know what he was starting. <laughs> no, he certainly didn't, and I think Mum sh- still shakes her head and and uh, probably thinks I should have a real job. But as they say, but um, <laughs> this is uh, definitely what I was wanting to do all my life, and uh, I just fell in love with horses at a young age, and uh, I I love a challenge, and these race horses have certainly uh, given me that. But um, mm. I'm sure he looks at me sometimes and thinks, "What did I do? What have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> do you Crowded see the monster? <laughs> you see a bit of them, Gainer. Uh, not enough, no. I'll be up there in, in a couple of weeks, so I'll make the trek up there, but uh, I don't mm. see them uh, as often as I'd like. Mm. But uh, being down here in Bathurst and with this job, it's uh, w- with me being hands-on, I can be a bit pedantic about things, the way they're done mm. and whatever, and um, sometimes I find it difficult to delegate, but that's my my issue. But uh, I'm sure mm. things would be fine if I wasn't here for a few days. Yeah, you'd rather do it yourself, would you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Does that make you a tough boss? Oh, I'm tough but fair. I make sure I am fair, and uh, but I like things to be done properly and I don't like shortcuts. Mm. Mm. I'm not going to put you on the spot by asking you to name your favourite jockeys, but I would like to get your comments on a couple with whom you've had a, a great association. 
I don't think there's much doubt Greg Ryan rode more winners for you than any other jockey. He rode quite a few, Greg, and uh, an amazing ability as a jockey and, and another jockey that could just read a race and he would just have a horse travelling within themselves and just produce the horse at the right time. And uh, he was incredible and, and very um, sad to see him retire. I guess we all can't keep going, but his, his lifetime achievements have been amazing. Mm, he was a classic example, wasn't he, of old champions never dying but just fading away. He told nobody. No, he's... he's um, he doesn't like fuss, Greg, and uh, mm. everyone sort of suspected it, but um, it, it was, you know, it's sad to see him go, but uh, I'm sure, um, you know, he'll be still watching a few races and he's been in it for so long, but mm. uh, he was a really, really good horseman, Greg. He was on our podcast some time ago and I asked him the simple question uh, to try and pinpoint for me what made him so uh, dominant in the Western Districts, and he said, well, look, uh, I think I've, I've abided by one golden rule, regardless of the distance of the race. He said, when I think it's time to go, I wait a little bit longer. Yes. Sum, yes. Summed it up, didn't it? It did, yes. That's probably what I meant by saying he could produce a horse just at the right time and without taxing the horse. He, he made the run throughout the race very easy for the horse horses and uh, mm. he was he was very talented at doing that. I recall you're having a wonderful run some years ago with the long retired Craig Rickson who was an underrated rider. Craig was very good to us we, he rode quite a few winners for us very very astute judge of a horse and we had a horse years ago raced at Mudgee a horse called the Lonely King for Nick Moratus. And I think he ran fifth or sixth, I, I couldn't quite remember, but uh, Craig came back and said, this horse will win us next start. The horse had a good run without mm. winning on paper mm. and he just got the feel of the horse. He said, this horse go good. He said, but put, I think he said, put blinkers on it, on him and lead on him or do something or other like that. He mm. said, this horse will win. And sure enough, we started him at Bathurst the next start and the horse won. Mm. And that, you know, with the change of gear and whatever. And he could always tell you so much about the horses that he was riding and what they needed. He was wonderful. Mm. Last time I spoke to Craig, he was in jockey management. He is. He manages uh, Anthony Cavallo, mm. and um, we we have quite uh, regular conversations to this day. So it's good to see him still involved in the racing industry. Yeah, wonderful. Now you mentioned a bloke there, Choco, Anthony Cavallo, who was also a guest on the podcast recently. Uh, now in the veteran class, and he's proud to admit that. Uh, based in Mudgee. Uh, but travels around the Central West with a great deal of success. He's an old-world jockey uh, who is also a very sound judge. Very much so. Uh, uh, Choco doesn't um, embroider on anything. He'll tell you straight, you know, it's just black and white, and um, I like that in a jockey. It mm. just can tell you how it is. I don't sort of really um, warm to... Uh, Jockeys that don't, you know, that they try and avoid telling me the truth. Um, <laughs> you I mean the like... ones that say, thanks for the ride, ta-da. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, but I just like, you know, he, he's good that way, Choco. He, he will just tell you how it is and, and, and mm. that suits my way of thinking, which is mm. great. And he, he does a good job and he's he's very ded dedicated to what he's 
what he's doing. So. Mm. A North Coast trainer told me once that Robert Thompson had a special expression when he'd ridden a slow one uh, for a particular trainer. He'd dismount, he'd unsaddle, he'd look right, he'd look left to make sure nobody was listening. <laughs> and he would say to the trainer, this needs a change of address. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Very yeah. diplomatic. <laughs> that was Robert. <laughs> now, Gainey, you seem to have a lot of confidence in a young lady called Kath Bell Pittermack, another uh, podcastee in the last six months or so. You use Kath Bell quite often at meetings in your region. We haven't, we, yes, we haven't probably used her for a while, but um, Catherine is just incredible. She has the work ethic. Uh, uh, she's just amazing. I, I don't think I've seen anyone for a while with Catherine's determination and dedication and work ethic, and she just has goals in her life and she just keeps trying and working so hard until she achieves them. And, and she recently rode her 100th winner. And she's just amazing and she's just a wonderful example for, for anyone but um, a wonderful example for women and women in the industry and uh, she's had quite a few injuries and just bounced back. And, and we had a horse, uh, a horse called Nosy Tycoon, mm-hmm. a few years ago that she jumped out for us at Wellington. We trained at, at um, Mudgee and we took them over to Wellington. She used to ride a few. Yeah. And she'd had an injury or had a fall off a horse either the day before or a couple of days before, and we needed to jump this mare out so we could trial her mm. uh, at Narromine. And Catherine said, it'll be right, it'll be fine. I said, you've had a fall, Catherine. Uh, you know, how will you go with it? It'll be fine, it'll be fine. Yeah. She she jumped this mare out at Wellington and she was in so much pain, I couldn't believe it. Mm. And she, I said, she got off the horse and we virtually had to lift her off the horse. I said, Catherine, this is so wrong. Mm. And she went to the said, you, you've got to go and see what's wrong, go to the doctor. And she had um, a really severe pelvic injury. But that girl was so determined and so loyal mm. and she just wanted to see that mare jump out and then uh, and she was off for a while after that. And, and it's just incredible. We felt awful after have, her doing that and, and mm. because she was in so much pain. But that's what Catherine's like. That's yeah. just what, what, her, what she's like. Very few meetings go by in your part of the world where she doesn't have four or five rides and plenty of winners. That's right, and she just loves what she's doing so much. She just loves the racing and she loves horses and mm. all day, every day she can, she'll talk horses and it's just, it's just uh, in her nature. I think she started off with horses very at a very early age, but mm. she just loves being a jockey. Now, Gaynor, I've got to point out that uh, people that I talk to on the podcast can be found in all sorts of environments, you know, lounge chairs, uh, bar stools, <laughs> whatever. But in your case, you're never far away from those stables. Where are you positioned right at this moment? Oh, uh, John, I'm actually in the feed room sitting on a, a comfortable bag of oats. It's probably <laughs> the most comfortable seat for me and the most used. <laughs> <laughs> How appropriate. It is, but uh, we spend a lot of time here. But, um, yes, this is the best seat in the house. Gaynor, every time I talk to a trainer like you, I'm reminded of a statement made years ago by an old New Zealand trotting trainer who summed it up best of all when he said, racing is a business fraught with disappointment 
interspersed by the odd pleasant surprise. Do you agree with that? Totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. There's so many so many downtimes and disappointing times. You're dealing with live animals here and um, you've got people to deal with as well and sometimes you need to be a horse trainer as well as a psychologist. But uh, there are definitely more downtimes than good times, but that one good time can just seem to, for some reason, make up for 100 bad times and you just live for the for the good times and probably when they do arise, you, everyone deserves it. I think every trainer that gets a winner and has success deserve it because um, they they just work so hard. I would never resent any trainer for, for success because I know how much goes into it. And uh, it, it is it's just the nature of the industry. Delight to talk to you, Gaynor Williams, and keep up the wonderful work. Thank you, John. Thanks very much. Gaynor Williams, our special guest on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. The English digital online sales platform continues to be the industry's number one place to buy and sell a horse online. With almost 9,000 registered bidders, it's the one-stop shop for tried horses, for broodmares and for racehorse shares. Sellers are delighted by a regular clearance rate of over 80%. Buyers are aware that more than 2,000 races around Australia last season were won by English Digital graduates. With two sales every month, you no longer need to wait forever to buy or sell a horse in Australia. Head to EnglishDigital.com.